All right. Uh, Merry Christmas. And, you know, we don't greet each other that often as a church, but I just think Merry Christmas is like one of the funnest greetings you could give. So could you just turn around and say Merry Christmas to like three to four people that you don't know really quick? Good job, everyone. Good job. So um, as a tradition with Renew, we often move into our first um, our sermon with small groups. So we break off into groups of three or four, and then we ask a usually a really dark question. But today, you know, Christmas, so what is love? I like that question, um, but I like the dark ones more. So um, if you guys could just look around, if there's someone you don't know, I'd love for you just to bring them into your group. But we're just going to spend uh, two or three minutes talking about what love is. It's a pretty open-ended question. And um, yeah, so let's just do that for three minutes, and then I'll come back up and, and do our sermon. All right, I hope you guys got to share some cool answers. I think love is a pretty broad term, right? And we have a lot of different ways that we experience love and understand it. I think some people can think of love as just sex or biologically having a large endorphin release, right? Um, but other times, love is described as sacrifice or commitment or, or just care for another person. I, I think for me, for the longest time, love was a feeling. And I remember when I first met Nina, I was like just drawn to her, you know? And I asked her for a number, and I got it. So that was, that was a win. And then, but then three weeks later, no, two months later, I met her in February, and then in April, I had this big birthday party just to show her that I had a lot of friends because um, I thought that'd be impressive. And so there's like 50 to 1,000 people there. And then we're hanging out and introducing her to everyone. And I remember at the end of the party, I must have been like buzzed or just out of my mind. But I said something like, let's get married. And that would be so, super awkward except that we are now. And I won. And then... <laughs> I remember, um, I remember just like moments in that dating process where I was just like wanting to see her every day, but that would be excessive. And so I just called her every other day to hang out and she would uh, say yes most of the time. And um, one day I was super excited because I got to hang out with her two days in a row, like a Friday and Saturday. And I remember we hung out all Friday I took her home, I dropped her off at, ha at her house, and I was watching her walk into her apartment. I was like super sad, even though I knew I was going to see her the very next day, like in the morning. Like I was going to go home, brush my teeth, go to sleep, brush my teeth again, and pick her up. But I was sad that like for 45 minutes of conscious living, I would not be with her, you know? And so for the longest time, that's what I thought love was. And then there's also kind of the biblical definition of love. A lot of you guys probably uh, talked about that in your group. Let's see if my clicker works today. No. Next slide. Okay. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's a tough one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so for a long time, that's what love meant to me as a Christian. And there was this assumption that when I met someone that I truly loved, 
I would display all of these things. Or that if someone truly loved me, that they would be kind and not self-seeking and trust, um, trustworthy. And then I got married and realized that nothing changed. It was like kind of bewildering that I totally loved somebody and I was still self-seeking. I was still impatient and I still failed. And I was like, man, what happened to this whole Christian definition of love? Because I know I fully love Nina, and at the same time, I, I'm still angry with her sometimes. Sometimes I'm angry with her more than I am with everyone else, you know? Isn't that odd that the person I love most, um, maybe I'm the least patient with? It's really strange to me. But then... I looked at this other passage, and it says, um, oh, it disappeared on me. No. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, it, it has a simple phrase. It says, nope, not that one. Uh, it says, God is love. And, and the, wor- the phrase God is only happens three times in Scripture. God is love, God is light, and God is spirit. It's speaking about different categories of the essence of God. But I think it also speaks of the essence of love. That love isn't just something we feel. Love isn't just something that we exchange with another person. Love isn't just a verb or an action. But love is something that God possesses. Or love is something that we can possess. Love is is who we are. And I think that kind of resolves some of the mystery of seeing one person who possesses love, able to love their enemies, able to love criminals, able to love the guy off the street because it's who they are. And another person who loves their wife or kids but is actually abusive to them, is actually mean to them, is actually withdrawn from them. That when we think about love as who we are, who we are then expresses itself in how we interact with not just the people we're closest to, but everyone around us. And that's what I see here. I see patience as who we are, as a character trait, right? If we're patient with the guy who cuts us off the road, we're probably going to be patient with our friend playing basketball who elbows us in the face. We're probably going to be patient with the puppy that pees in our carpet. We're probably going to be patient with our girlfriend. But if we um, keep a leisure, a record of wrongs in seventh grade, time stamped of everyone who did everything wrong to us, we're probably going to keep that same leisure with our best friend. We're probably going to keep that same leisure with our husband. And after about 30 years of marriage, you're going to have to alphabetical you know, a numerical and like do chapter and verse with all the ways he's messed up. Um, what if we saw love as who we are and not just something we display? What if everything we do is out of who we are? And so when we possess love, we're able to love not just our, the people closest to us, but even our worst enemies. I want us to just kind of break off into the same groups and reflect on that a little bit. What are three aspects of love when you look at this list and you think about it 
in terms of character traits that you possess, that you, you would say is pretty consistent in how you interact with others and who you are? And then what are three aspects of love that you feel like you're, you struggle in or maybe you're void of? And it's consistent as well, whether it's with your family or with um, someone you're annoyed with at work. I'm going to give you guys like two, three minutes again, and then we'll come back up. Thanks for sharing, everyone. So I wanted to give you guys, if you're single, uh, two random dating tips. I just felt like I could throw these in anytime, and you'd appreciate it. Uh, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, the, first, the first random dating tip for most of our congregation is if, if you're married, then you're, it's over. Just don't even worry about it. Um, is date someone who possesses love, not just someone who um, cares about you, but find if they actually, if it's part of their character. And you can see that with the people that they wouldn't normally treat well, you know, with people they have power over, with, their wait, with the waiter, with the homeless person, that kind of shows the depth of character that they have, whether they possess love or whether they're just, you know, acting. And then the second, the second random tip is um, love is compatible. You know, on eHarmony, there's like 37 dimensions of compatibility, like hobbies, personality, uh, different things. And I just kind of think about how the more we possess love, the more compatible we are. Because who isn't compatible with someone who's kind with someone who doesn't keep record of wrongs, with someone who, who trusts and hopes and perseveres through our worst moments. And who is compatible with someone who uh, dishonors us or gets easily angered or is self-seeking? That actually, the more we become like love, the more we're compatible with the, the, the person that we like or that we hope to marry. Now, I think the question that our last segment led into is, what do we do with our weaknesses, right? What do we do with the parts of love, even if we're willing and brave enough to identify it and even share it with the person next to us? How do we change those aspects of, of who we are? How do we not just like do a behavioral modification, but have it become deeply us? You know, I, I was talking to this guy who's a therapist, and he has a client who has, like, major anger issues. And at his workplace, he'll, like, full-volume yell at his coworkers. And he's, like, almost going to be fired for just losing uh, his head um, while talking to coworkers. And so he's seeing this therapist, and the therapist says, okay, just uh, calm down when you're about to get angry. And instead of yelling at this person, count to ten. So this person tries that, right? He goes to work, and he's, his, he's about to fly off the handle because of a coworker. So he starts counting to 10. And he comes back to his therapist. He's like, well, I counted to 10, but every number I counted, I thought of a different way to kill this person. So like one, drowning, two, fire, three, bullet, four, strangle, right? And so even though he's doing, even though externally he's not full-blown yelling, internally he hasn't changed. What allows us to truly change? What allows us to not just be 
different outwardly, but to embody love, to, uh, to become love. I really love uh, this next verse. It says, we love because he first loved us. That our ability to become love is out of us receiving love in a full way, experiencing it, allowing it to transform us. And when I think about society, secular music, and movies, there's that theme. There's a really profound theme of how love transforms us. I think about the war-torn you know, veteran who comes home, his heart is cold, and then he goes in for a hot cup of coffee, and the cute country girl starts, you know, singing to him as she speaks, and he starts to warm up, and he feels again, right? Or the depressed, apathetic girl who walks to high school in this gray world, meets this guy named Edward, who's like obsessed with her, and also a vampire, and she becomes a vampire. So love transforms us. <laughs> and um, we see this in music, we see this in movies, and, and I think maybe some of the deepest reasons why we want to be loved is because we want to be better. We want to transform. And then there's this Christian meta story too, that there's a God who loves us deeply, who didn't just kind of leave us in this cold world and, and sat there apathetically removed, but 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to come to earth to love us, to show us what love really looked like, to show us what it meant to be fully patient and kind, to fully forgive, to trust, to persevere, to have a love that never fails. We see this in the Bible as Jesus walks through uh, 30 years of life and three years with his disciples. We see this as he hangs on the cross to forgive us of our sin. But maybe most importantly, we get to experience this in our lives. That Jesus' coming wasn't just one point in time in history, but he's come for all of us. And he wants to intersect with our lives today. And he wants to show us love in the places that we are most vacant of it. That some of the reasons why we're impatient is because we've received love that was impatient. So how do we become patient? We need to experience God's love, but specifically the, his patience for us. You know, uh, growing up, my parents loved me deeply. And being a parent, I think I appreciate their love even more. But all of our love for our kids are flawed, right? So my mom, she has really, she's hugely, uh, you know, non-self-seeking. She's hugely sacrificial. And she's willing to make all kinds of sacrifices for our family. And then I kind of take how my mom has loved me, and then I apply it to God and say, man, it's so easy for me to understand that God is a sacrificial God, that he's willing to give himself for me. And then there's places in my mom's love that are flawed. All of us have 
ways that our love is flawed. And so for my mom, when I was younger, she's changed a lot, um, which is another story. But when I was younger, she was easily angered. And so whether I spilled milk or punched my sister, it was kind of the same amount of anger, right? It was a little explosive. And then I kind of took that because how we receive love from our parents is, is our baseline or our foundation for what love is. And so I take that and I apply it to God too. And for a long time, when I hear God loves me, I thought that he was very sacrificial, but kind of explosive. You see, all of us, when we see God's love, we see it in a filter uh, from the love that we received. And so my filter for God's love, in, the, in a negative way, not an Instagram way, but in like a hazy, bad filter way, is that when, when I messed up, he would fly off the handle. I literally was afraid every time I sinned that he would remove me from ministry, you know, strike me with sickness, and kind of send me packing. I was, I was afraid that when I messed up, his anger would be violent, that he was impatient. And it took me years to say, God, help me to see your love fuller. Help me to, like, as I read scripture and saw the Old Testament with Israelites and all of the prophets, I was like, man, God is so patient that he would give verbal warning after verbal warning and spend decades waiting for people to repent. And then I got to see that in my community. Uh, I have a good friend who came and uh, all, of my, all of my groomsmen are like anal, like they'll like color code their jeans and their house is flawless and then there's me, right? And um, he came, one of my really anal friends came to my room and it's like, like, there's like layers of clothes on the floor. Like you can't get to the bottom, you have to dig. And um, that's my, how my room is. And he's like, okay, Wilson, I'm gonna teach you how to clean today. And I was like, thanks, friend. Does that mean I just watch you clean? He's like, no, that means I teach you. So we spent like three hours cleaning my room and it was like 10% done, you know, and then we spent another 20 hours. Anyways, it got cleaned up and I was like really proud of my room. And then the next week he came in, he's like, let me see your room. I was like, no, it's, it's, it's clean. This is Ernest, by the way. And he opens the door and, uh, and it's like layers of clothes again and he cleans it up for me. And then, um, and then the next time he has to clean it again. And then the fourth time, it's like a little cleaner. And he's like really happy about that. And I think like through my experience with him, God's like, I'm like that, you know? I don't look at when you mess up and just give up on you. I'm willing to come back again and again. I'm willing to help you take one step at a time. If you can't take a step, I'm willing to sit with you and walk with you there. And I wonder if that's how we see God. I wonder what aspect of God we need to understand about his love that we've, we've filtered out. But when we see the lack of it in our lives, we realize the need that we have for it um, that we can only get in him. And I think that's the beauty of the Christmas story is that God came to earth to love us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? That whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. He loved the world that he gave his son. How have we received God's greatest gift in our lives? How have we received his love in our lives? And where do we need to experience his love the most? Um, why would I point to the screen? That doesn't make sense. So, let's see. <laughs> uh, all right. So I would love for us just to take a few minutes um, to pray for each other, if that's okay. And then we're going to have worship uh, team come up. And, and then we set up some different art displays um, to see God's love for us, to um, kind of reflect on it. And so, yeah, I would love for us just to kind of think about those areas of weakness in our life, um, those places of love that we're void of. And to say, man, God, the only way I can possess this love is to receive it from you, is to see it and experience from you and to have the community around me ex- uh, to experience from them too. I think that's the really special part of doing church, not just filling a seat on Sunday, but building friendships and doing life together, is that we get to love each other in the ways that we do possess and show God's love in those specific facets. And then the ways that we lack, we get to receive love from brothers and sisters that get, that get that. And that transforms us. But also Jesus wants to love us as well. So what experience of love, what aspect of love do you need from Jesus this week? And would you be willing just to pray for each other on that? Let me pray for us. And then we could pray for each other. God, thank you so much for sending your son for dying on the cross for our sins so that you can love us in a deep and significant way. God, I pray for all the ways that we lack love, all the ways that we feel void of it, that without you, that for those who feel unkind, Lord, I pray that you would bathe them in your kindness that they would hear words of kindness to them every day from your spirit. I pray for those who keep record of wrongs, that you would see how, they would see how you have blotted out all of their transgressions, that you have removed their sin as far as the east is from the west, and that as they experience the way you forgive us, that they would forgive others that way too. And I pray for those of us who need to know your patience, again and again. That when we fall short, when we sin, help us to look up and see your hand ready to pull us up, ready to take one step at a time with us, ready to heal us, to hold us, to be kind to us. This Christmas, I pray, Jesus, that you would come into all of our lives and love us in the way that we need most. Will we just spend some time in our small groups, just kind of praying God's love over each other in that specific way that we shared uh, we're lacking. And then uh, we'd love to have like an extended time of worship. And during that time, you could take communion in the back and um, really kind of think about 
the extent of God's love that he would give his son to us, not just as a baby, but give his son to us um, on the cross, giving his life for our sins so we could be his kids. And then there's all these different displays of what love looks like. And I hope that maybe you could find a picture or a phrase and say, God, I see this in this picture. I hope to see it in my relationship with you. But first, again, I would love for us just to pray, pause and pray for each other um, on this question. All right? Thanks, everyone.